Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. what talent he had to make that guitar cry to make it sing to make it protest man nobody has had that kind of ability since there wasn't anybody like him still hasn't been he was so generous you know that's a whole nother side of Hendrix people probably don't know finally for poor old Jimi Hendrix it was a a bit of a you know uh, a not good way to to play his final large-scale performance before he died. and So many great guitar players out there from, you know, the the crowded room that it is. Yeah, Jimmy was uh, totally unique. Now, it was the first time that I'd really gotten to hang out with Jimmy at all, and, uh, and I was too shy to talk to him. Jimi Hendrix is a legendary figure in music. We all know that, and many of the rock stars that I interview were friends of his and worked with him and rubbed shoulders with the great man, so I thought I'd put together a quick show for you called Hendrix Experienced. And we'll start with a funny story told by an amazing frontman. Mark Farner was the lead dynamo with the incredible Grand Funk Railroad. They were one of the best live bands of their era, explosive live. And Mark spoke to me about his friendship with Jimmy and the hurt he felt when Jimmy passed away. And we start with a fun little story about how we were starstruck the first time they met. We played the Fillmore East in New York City. And when I got off the stage, our manager, Terry Knight, was leading the way up back up to the dressing room. And he never led the way to the dressing room prior to that night. And I I thought it was kind of funny that he was up in front of us. He usually followed us. So he went up and he opened my dressing room door. And I went went to step in there. And here's Jimmy. He had his hat on. You know, he had this shit-eating grin on his face. Like, how you doing, kid? And I just went up to him. And the most intelligent thing I could come up with to say was, 
you're a great guitar player. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I, I got to know him after that. We had been on several festivals together and we hung out and talked and, and we didn't talk music. We just talked life. We talked fishing. We talked, you know, uh, growing up and uh, what a great guy he was and what a tragic Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that he had to leave the way he did. And so early, man, so early, he was just a young guy. But what talent he had to make that guitar cry, to make it sing, to make it talk and make a statement, to make it protest. Man, whew, nobody has had that kind of ability since. Yeah. There's no one could touch him. No one can. He was just, he was a gift, man. He was a gift from God. And now he's back with God. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're saying how devastating it was. Can you remember when you found out about his, his sad passing? Yeah. And I just, I cried because I was just getting to know him real good. And I just thought, man, that lovely, beautiful soul. Because we had talked about playing music together. He loved my voice. You know, I said, I I told him what, you know, I learned all my shit just listening to you. And he, uh, he told me I had a wonderful voice. We should do something together. And so I don't know what we would have done, but, uh, it was good to think of it and and sad to think that we no longer had that opportunity when he left it was wow wow i couldn't even believe it i i had a hard time uh just letting go of him next up we'll hear from someone who auditioned to be jimmy's drummer roger earl from fog hats you know slow ride and all that anyway roger was known by jimmy's manager chas chandler and was asked to visit london to try out to be part of his band. We were playing at a, it was a lunchtime, it was a club called um, Birdland, just off Piccadilly Circus. And Jimmy came up to a couple of people in line. He came up to me and started talking to me about some of the songs he'd written the night before. And uh, really cool guy. I, I eventually got up to play with him and he started playing at a Marshall stack and he started playing. I really couldn't quite come to terms with his music to start off with. <laughs> and then he, uh, he played, uh, to the best of my recollection, he played, he played like a slow blues. And then I could, I could do that. I could do that. Uh, and he played a, a Chuck Berry song. I could do that. Um, then I think he played a few other things. And he was very generous with his time. I probably played for about 40 minutes, I think. But, um, the drummer he picked was the one. Mitch Mitchell was uh, mm-hmm. incredible in that band. Um, he played some brilliant stuff. He played some stuff, and I'm going. I remember listening to the album when it first came out myself and uh, my friend Dave, who was a bass player in the first band I was in. We'd sit and listen to Jimmy's first album. I go, "Did you hear what you just did then?" And Dave would say, "Yeah, what was that?" I said, "I don't know. I was talking about the drummer." He said, "Well, I was talking about the oh, it was." Um, no, Jimmy was, um, he was, uh, you know, I think in the world of like we're in 
when so many people there's so many great guitar players out there to stand out yeah. from you know the the crowded room that it is yeah jimmy was uh totally unique next up let's hear from mark stein from vanilla fudge huge band in the 60s they took led zeppelin across america for their first u.s tour and in 1968 they toured with Jimi hendrix too now during this mark and jimmy struck up a really good friendship and mark recalls what it was like being out on the road with jimmy it was like a circus on the road <laughs> i mean hendrix hit the road he must have had a, it seemed like he had a thousand people around him it was like it was like Bonham and Bailey, you know, on the road all the time. All kinds of colors and clothes and guys and women oh, and everybody, yeah. you know, just taking advantage of the guy because he was so generous. You know, that's a whole nother side of Hendrix. People probably don't know, uh, but uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, here we here we were opening for uh, opening for the greatest, uh, you know, rock star of the time, Jimmy Hendrix experience and. I got to know Jimmy and Noel Redding and Noel and I became friends and and uh, Mitch Mitchell, who I always thought was one of the greatest, you know, progressive, you know, rock, jazz, rock drummers of, of his era. And uh, it was so cool just being a part of that uh, as well. You know, I used to hang out with Jimmy after the show. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd have a drink. We'd, we'd, we'd have a pizza. <laughs> it was just like a couple of cats from New York then, you know. <laughs> But it was really, uh, it was nice. It was really nice. And he loved the fudge. He, he used to call me the fox. He used to stand on the side of the stage. <laughs> and I used to sit on this uh, padded swill chair. And I used to swivel around on the B3. And I'd come and get to the front of the organ, run on the downbeat. And my hair would just sit down. And he'd say, you look like a fox. And I watched him and you look like, I'm going to call you the fox. <laughs> so that was my nickname. That's what he gave me, you know. <laughs> this is what I'm recalling. And uh, and didn't you yeah. get to hear um, Electric no, Ladyland no, before it. anybody else heard it, it as well? Didn't you get to hear Electric Ladyland before everyone not. else? Yeah, there was a night in uh, in Phoenix uh, when we were hanging out. Uh, I was I was in the hotel room with Mitch and Noel. Um, it was the wee hours in the morning, and Jimmy comes strolling in with these acetates which uh, were like copies of, it was like a demo before mm -hmm. the actual records were pressed. So you can, so you can hear how the, how the actual production was going to sound on vinyl. You couldn't play it more than maybe two or three times before it lost generations, but he had a brand new one with him and he was excited to play it. So it was electric lady man. And he had this little, well, we had this record player with the left and right speaker like hooked up to the side, you know? And he played it, and here we all listening to the God's Made Love and the rest of that record. And I, I was just like, just a, it was just a knockout night hearing that guitar, like panning from left to right. I mean, I'm going back 55 years, yeah, maybe, man. you know. <laughs> but uh, I still remember that, like, uh, well, almost like it was yesterday. Wow. Pretty crazy. And I didn't realize the, the importance of that moment until I'm talking to you now and over the last few years. Uh, to to have experienced that and someone that got to experience what it was like being in the studio with jimmy was another good friend of his rock and roll hall of famer dave mason dave played on some of his big hits as he explains all along the watchtower and and you performed on that song with him didn't you uh i played acoustic guitar on that and uh, sang on crosstown traffic <coughs> i did some other tracks with him playing sitar and bass 
but I have, I really have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yeah, I spent some good time with him. I mean, he was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So how did all that come about with All Along the Watchtower then? Uh, we just heard the new uh, Bob Dylan album um, uh, that was that was out. Somebody had a copy um, one afternoon, and I guess uh, something struck Jimmy about it. And a few days, I think it was just maybe a few days later, we were. Um, I found myself in the studio with him, him and Mitch, just mm. the three of us. And that's cut that track. <laughs> and what sort of experience was that being in the studio with Jimi Hendrix? I mean, it must be incredible. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then the first time you heard the song and you were, as you were recording it, did you feel the, 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 the quality of the song and how good it was going to be and, and what a hit it was going to be? Well, who knows how big a hit something's going to be, but yes, obviously it was, um, uh, it was something unique and special. So something was going to happen with it. And Hendrix was just such, you know, there was, there wasn't anybody like him. Still hasn't been. Next up, let's hear from a crazy festival. Isle of Wight, 1970, an even bigger crowd than Woodstock, an incredible lineup of acts to play. But people have broken down fences to get in and bands weren't getting paid. It all went a bit crazy. Now, on that bill, along with Jimi Hendrix, was Jethro Tull and the band's lead man, the leader, the front man, singer, flautist, however you wish to describe him. Ian Anderson, he's going to talk us through what happened backstage between the two bands at what turned out to be Jimmy's last big scale festival appearance. Looking back on it, it, it um, you tend to look at look at it, you know, with a sense of amusement. But I mean, some people were getting quite upset, you know, and um, I can imagine that um, finally, for poor old Jimmy Hendrix, it was a, a bit of a, you know, uh, a not good way to to play his final large scale performance before he died, and um, he. Uh, he he had to close the show and he didn't he didn't want to go on last and, and I I definitely didn't want to go on last and his road crew were trying to set up their equipment before us um sort to try and get on before us and um and we had rather less equipment and and uh, managed to get our amps and things on the stage plugged in red lights on and we just went out and did it you know so poor old Jimmy had to wait and close the show after all and um and by that time of course it was about two o'clock in the morning or something when he went on i mean it was the audience was just knackered they'd had enough they they weren't in the great mood they just wanted to hear hey joe and purple haze and go home and jimmy had a new band and you know he wasn't really that um enthused about um you know having to play the old hits um but that that was the crowd pleaser that was expected Next up, let's hear from a fun guy. This is Blue Oyster Cult drummer Albert Bouchard. He was part of the house band at the Steve Paul scene, and he tells the story of a crazy night and one of his biggest regrets when Jimi Hendrix and Ringo Starr both rocked up to the venue when he was playing at the same time. This On this particular night, Ringo, well, first, Jimi Hendrix comes in. He goes to the far side of the room with, uh, like, a bunch of girls and one guy. And, uh, you know, about four girls. It's yeah. like, oh, he's got it like that. <laughs> and then Ringo comes in with, I think, just a couple people. 
and he sits at the other side of the club. So the house manager, Ted Slatis, comes up to me and says, hey, uh, uh, why don't you go over and tell Ringo that it's, you know, Jimmy is going to jam later and uh, tell Ringo that it's okay for, for him to play your kit. And I said, oh, okay, it'd be awesome. So I went over and I said, Ringo, I, you know, I, I've, I've admired you. I think, you you know, I emulate you and all this other stuff. And uh, and I'd be honored if you play my kit because I know that Jimmy is going to play, uh, is going to jam. And Ringo said, no, I, I think I'm going to be a spectator tonight. That's that's what I want to do. And I said, okay, okay. And, I, you know, and then I looked over and I was like, oh, should I ask him? Oh, that's going to seem so forward and, you know, uh, maybe the next time, you know, it was the first time that I really gotten, you know, you know, uh, to hang out with Jimmy, you know, at all. And, uh, and I was too shy to talk to him to be, to be perfectly honest. Now, the next time he came to the, uh, to, uh, Steve Paul scene, we all talked to him and, and Eric Bloom, who had the van got to go out in the van and smoke pot with him. <laughs> so Eric got, Eric got closer to Jimmy than I did. Yeah. So, uh, but it, I always thought that, you know, he would be around. I mean, that was, that was the whole thing. Uh, you know, I thought, well, I'll, you know, once he knows me better, uh, you know, he'll know, you know, I'm not just some jerk coming and say, hey, I want to play drums with you, you know, so, but it never happened, so. Well, I do hope you've enjoyed those clips. Classic rock stars talking about the legend that is Jimi Hendrix. Check out all the rest of those interviews with those guys talking about their careers. You'll find some incredible stories on there. Take a look back through the Vintage Rock Pod channel and you'll find hundreds of them to enjoy. But that's it for me then this week. Next week's big interview show is with another brilliant guest. Let me just tell you that now. You won't be disappointed. So until then, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.